You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip-syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to another episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. This is episode 292. Hey everybody, welcome to the show, another great show that we have planned for you. I hope everybody enjoyed last week's show with Kirk, that was super fun, it was a great interview. We had a great time. And we have another interview coming up next week that is also going to be totally amazing. Not beyond board games, but also going to be totally (laughs) amazing. But that is episode 293, Kirk was episode 291, this is episode 292. Hello everybody, as always I'm your host Andrew. And I am joined by my lovely and wonderful wife, Anitra. That's me. And seeing as it is 292, I have a fact not about 291 or 293, but 292. Okay. Are you ready? Yep. This is one of those world record things that I kind of like feel bad for this person for setting this world record. Okay. Oh, well. Okay. So you may be familiar with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Just a little. Yeah. yeah. And you may also be familiar with the fact that a Spider-Man movie came out that was kind of woven into the thread of the Marvel Cinematic Universe called Spider-Man No Way Home. Yes. Did you know, where else but in Florida, that a Florida man has won a world record after watching Spider-Man No Way Home in theaters 292 times? I have nothing I can say to that. Pretty much. I I mean, me either. Good job, dude. Yeah. Uh, So... (laughs) To win this world record title, this guy spent a total of 720 hours or 30 days watching the latest installment in the Spider-Man saga between December 16th, 2021 and March 15th, 2022. For the first few weeks of his record attempt, he watched five back-to-back screenings each day. I believe it. This guy obviously doesn't have a job. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. I I, I don't know. But so he spent... Over three thousand dollars in, you know, in yeah, in, in tickets. ticket prices, yeah. And the rules say that he couldn't do things like take a nap during the movie, use his phone, or even go to the bathroom while watching the film. Okay, only between films. Yeah, got it. What's more, this CNN article says this guy juggled viewings of the film with family and work obligations. Maybe he just didn't sleep. I don't know. But I mean, how else do you do five back-to-back viewings? Why would you multiple watch the days same in a row? movie two hundred ninety-two times? To set a world record, duh. Of all the world records. Anyway, that's my fact about the number 292. Hopefully, I'll come up with something a little bit more germane to the public interest (laughs) next week. Well, did you know there's a U.S. law that allows every American to check their credit reports with each of the three major credit bureaus each year for free? That is germane to the public interest. You don't have to sign up for a service. You don't have to pay a monthly fee. Just go to annualcreditreport.com. It's important to check your credit report so you know if someone has opened accounts in your name or if a creditor is misreporting an old debt and to see which accounts you forgot to close that might be hurting your credit score. First Move Financial has a blog post that we'll link to in the show notes about how to read your credit reports. If you're overwhelmed by debt, hiring a financial advisor may not be right for you. But First Move is still happy to have a 15-minute phone call to get you going in the right direction and point you toward free resources. Go to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers 
to set up a time to chat today. Thanks so much to First Move Financial for sponsoring this episode of the show. So our topic for this week is going to be family game night. Yeah, I mean, like, that's a thing, right? Like, that that we talk about a lot. Like, it's our mission, right? Family game night, right? One might say so, yes. <laughs> Specifically, a certain kind of aspect of family game night. Like, what makes family game night so hard? I mean, I can tell you right now, scheduling things in May, when all the school year stuff is wrapping up, there's all kinds of special events, there's all kinds of extra stuff that needs to be done. Scheduling anything, really, is hard. Even if it doesn't involve leaving your house. I, I don't disagree at all. And so, you know, we've tried lots of different things over the years mm-hmm. to make a consistent family game night work for us and for our family. And sometimes we'll go through a stretch where it does work. And sometimes it's just basically impossible. You know, we've got three kids. They've got school obligations, friends obligations, extracurricular obligations. Sometimes they just don't want to play a board game. You know, there's lots of things. And you and I have responsibilities outside of, you know, this podcast and work. What? I know, right? We do? That's Yeah, we, we actually, we both have other hobbies that take up some of our time. So sometimes literally just scheduling the time is the hard part. I did write a blog post about this three years ago now, <laughs> in 2019. I'm going to link to it in the show notes, but it's called Make Time for Games. Mm. But we're going to get into that more in the second half of the show. First half of the show, we're going to do the things that we always do, like talk about what we've been playing. Let's do that. All right. So I think the first thing I want to get out of the way, we got to talk about 25 words or less. Yeah, we do. We don't have to talk about it very much because we're going to include the snap review in in today's show. I would like to talk about it in 25 words or less. Okay. It's a party game. It's based on a TV show, which is based on an old game. Meh. I made it. I can do it in, in, I think, seven words. Okay. Way too hard. Not fun enough. Okay. Six words. Sure. Got All right, I'll take it. I'll take it. That's fine. Uh, I mean, that's that's the game. You know, it's. I mean, it originally came out like twenty five years ago or something like that, and it very much has the DNA of of an older style game. And it just it was not fun to play with the family. Yeah, as we often say, that doesn't mean it's a bad game, but it didn't work well for us, and we think it probably wouldn't work well for many families. Yeah. There are way more interesting games out there right now. Like, for example, the next game on the list, So Clover. Yeah. So we pulled this out again to show some friends of ours. And man, I am never going to get over how much fun it is to <laughs> like this kind of two-phase play of first rack your brain, figure out how to make the clues, and then everybody working together to try to decipher the clues on other people's boards. So the people that we sat down and played this game with literally bought it before getting up from the <laughs> table. I do want to make that point yeah. clear. Uh, it was actually my sister and her boyfriend. And I think when we released our review for Soul Clover, we said that this was a better game than just one. And I still think it is a better game than just one. I don't think it's a better game than I just do. one. I think it's a slightly more involved game than just one. I mean, it's I. It's certainly a little bit more cerebral. Well, and it requires more reading and writing skill. I remember that we started playing Just One as a family when our youngest couldn't read yet. And we figured out ways around that. And I actually was listening to the Game Schooler podcast earlier today, and they were saying the same thing. Like, you can house rule Just One to work with having a kid in the group who's like four or five as long as they've got the patience for it, they can draw pictures, you can whisper the word to them, like, 
you can make it work. Sure. You can't do that with a game like So Clover. I mean, that's true. And I guess, you know, I mean, Just One won the SDJ, and I guess SDJ is now basically a party game <laughs> uh, or a family game. It's a family weight game. It's a family game, game. yeah. Uh, it wouldn't be fair to say party game. So, you know, I, I kind of understand in that regard. But I would say, like, generally speaking, most of the people that listen to our show are like gamer people. Right, right, right. At least in some way or another. I mean, we certainly welcome gamers of all stripes to the Family Gamers podcast. I mean, that would be stupid for us not to. <laughs> but you know, I think that generally speaking, the people that listen to the show have a little bit of a gamer bent. Yeah. And for any of those people, I would say So Clover is, I mean, it's a faster, easier teach than a game like Codenames. It's fantastic. I'm not disagreeing with you. I think it's just, it's a little bit more complex than just one which is great for some people in some environments and not for others and that's okay i mean that's fine i think the reason why i'm so eager to cram the two of those together is because they're made by the same company they have a ton of the same basic dna to them in, yeah, in they terms do. of them being word games and and that's kind of stuff sure i mean uh it, it's really good how about that it is really really good <laughs> yes excellent game Something that we thought would feel very similar to these kinds of word guessing games and didn't was Master Word. Yeah, so Master Word, I think this was yet another game that Jeremy Howard mentioned to us. I think so, yeah. And this is a game that uh, it does not have Mickey Mouse on the front. Kind of looks like Mickey Mouse, it but it's looks generic like Mouse. cartoon rodent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't think they're trying to look, make it look like no. Mr. Ma Mickey Mouse or whatever, but I mean, it kind of looks like Anyway, this is a really interesting word game, and it felt for me very different than I expected it to. So it felt a lot more like a mashup of something like a code names with like 20 questions. That sounds about right. So. In Master Word, you have one person who is like the clue giver. Who knows what the word is. Yeah who, yeah, who knows what the actual word is. And everybody else is trying to guess it. So the clue giver looks at the word and then turns this little like thing around. It's just this little box. little box thing. And it shows, a, I guess, a category. A category. Or something like that. And every so everybody knows what category it is. And each person has some number six of cards, cards i think you cards. can do six rounds yeah. yeah everybody starts discussing and you have a minute to decide on a question per person that you know you'd write down or like a word or like a phrase or something yeah. like that. like like four legged for example yeah. or um makes noise or you know i don't I even remember yeah, what it has fur stuff like that yeah. cuz the fir the very first one is animal they so they line those up and what the clue giver does is they indicate how many of the statements are true, are right. accurate. Almost like a mastermindy kind of thing. Yeah. Except it's not like well, in mastermind you're also indicating position. You know, so right, that, right. That, but, that, that doesn't really But work. yeah, so it's it's got all of those various elements to it. On top of the fact that you're not penalized if multiple people decide to put down the same clue guess question, it can actually work in your favor Especially if you can't come up with anything else because, okay, well, you got both of those right because they're the same thing. Okay, I'm putting down extra thumb marks. Like, it can actually make it more obvious which things are right and which things are wrong. Yeah, so what you kind of end up doing is you try to basically put out clues that are, like, related to each other. And so you position it such that the number of thumbs up that you get leads you down a certain path. Yeah, the rule book describes this like a funnel. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. that's a perfect way to describe it. 
And once per word, once per game, the clue giver can take a thumbs up and actually put it on a clue. So like if you go through a round or two and the clue giver is listening to the conversation and it's right. going in the wrong direction, right. they can actually take a thumb and be like, bloop, and put it on something. Because like, well, I, I, didn't, I didn't want to say anything because no, I don't want to even ruin the first clue. I'll just say we were playing with five people, which means that there were four people putting out clues or guesses mm-hmm. every round. And when you get to that number of people guessing, it's real easy to be like, okay, well, there were two thumbs down on this round. So we know two of these four things. And maybe you eliminate one of those things real quick. And then you're at three. And it can be real easy with groupthink to just start heading down the wrong path and be like, oh, um, it was four-legged mammal and makes noise. Um, it's got to be a four-legged mammal, right? It's got to be. We're looking for four-legged mammals that don't make noise. If you especially go through a round of trying to do that kind of thing, Clue Giver can put something and be like, it makes noise. Yeah, or, or, or whatever <laughs> thing. But it's just, so we played two rounds. And the first round, I was the Clue Giver. Second round, you were the Clue Giver. And it was really interesting for me because I kind of thought it would be boring to be the Clue Giver in a game like this. Because yeah, it's you're... almost like, well, because... We just stopped talking about So Clover, where you're the clue giver and you have to listen yeah. to everybody, you know, do this stuff. Right. But it's kind of interesting in Master Word because you're giving these clues to lead people along and you have this one little thing where you can really like put the, you know, hard affirmative yeah. on something. And it's just, I don't know. I, I don't know what it was about the clue giving experience because you are so limited in what you can do. It's not like you have a lot of yeah. opportunity for creativity, but it did feel like you were way more engaged in what was going on. Yeah. The one other thing you can do as the person who knows the word is that you can ask clarifying questions before putting down the thumbs for a round. So like, you know, makes noise. What do you mean by makes noise? Right. You know, let the people clarify. And sometimes even in that part of the process, sometimes it's you, the person with the real word that's like, okay, yeah, I can see where you're going with that. Sometimes it's the rest of the group all of a sudden realizes they don't agree about that. And it turns into a whole nother discussion yeah. to clarify this is what we mean here. Well, and also, you know, those clarifying questions, and th- this is funny because in real life, I am essentially a technical project manager right now. And so I literally have to do this exact thing <laughs> where we're defining requirements for, for software. So sometimes you'll ask a question and that clarifying question relates to an aspect of the clue that they didn't even think about. And it's like, oh, yeah. that is not what I meant at all. Right. Because that's the kind of thing that really leads people down the wrong path. Right. It's really interesting. It's a really interesting game. I don't yeah. know if this is going to be the same level of like transcendent great party game as some of the other stuff like a So Clover or like a Similo for well, us. And especially, but it's really neat. And especially because Master Word says in the instructions, like I think the first two or three words are supposed to kind of introduce you into the game. And they explicitly say, do these in order, they get harder. Yeah. So... I wonder if we might get to a certain point where maybe the dynamic just isn't working for us anymore. The words are too hard. I don't know. Well, so we talked a little bit before about like, you know, gamer people and the and the games that gamer yeah. people are going to play and stuff like that. Master Word is a game 
even though it's basically a party game that I really probably would only play with people that like appreciate game theory and like appreciate the funnel process and like yeah, yeah. the work of the clue deriving and stuff like that. Like, yeah, exactly. it's not, you know, like a game like So Clover, for example, is a game that you could rip out on the table with anybody as long as they can read. Yep. I don't feel that way about Master Word. Like it's a Agreed. little bit more Agreed. cerebral. Yeah. But it's great. It's really a lot of fun. I like yeah. it. And now for something completely different. Mm-hmm. We got a package in the mail from Restoration Games. Yes, we did. I have not played this yet. Oh, I but want I to have. play with it so badly. Oh, so much. We got Unmatched Jurassic Park Dr. Sattler versus T-Rex. We have been waiting for this girl for a long time. Yes. <laughs> we did not get to play this as designed right away because we had a third player. So we said, okay, we can't leave out our third player over here. We will take Dr. Sattler and T-Rex and a third character and play them on a four player map. So who did you play with the th- as the third character? Bruce Lee. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It was fantastic. Okay. So I played as Dr. Sattler because I am more than willing to take the one that sure. everybody's like, oh, yeah, I don't yeah, care. Yeah. Fine. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed Dr. Sattler. Dr. Sattler has a card. Woman inherits the earth. Among other <laughs> okay. things. All right. But she was pretty great. The T-Rex is stupidly cool. <laughs> <laughs> Not a mini. <laughs> but slightly more involved than we thought at first glance. Oh, okay. T-Rex moves one space in her maneuver. Okay. And kind of sort of takes up two spaces but it depends on where she is on the map okay so the footprint is big enough that it can take up two spaces but if you're on something like the cobblin fog map or something where there's these long bridges sure then she's only on one space it literally says in the rules only on two spaces when pointing from her last space the mini still touches the old space okay whether or not t-rex is in two spaces she can always reach one space away so she's melee except she can hit adjacent spaces and one away from adjacent spaces okay so it's so I, this is a thing i was wondering about with this is can you get inside her reach and it sounds no, like the answer is no no you cannot okay all right however since her maneuver is one you can often get up to her hit her and run away <laughs> yeah well i mean i assume her attacks are quite powerful they are reasonably powerful. They are not actually insanely powerful, which so they live is good. in the do they live in the like three to five range? Yeah. Yeah, okay. All right. It was very entertaining doing a three way with Dr. Sattler, T Rex, and Bruce Lee. <laughs> because Dr. Sattler is more on the powerful side. Dr. Sattler has insight tokens that you can place whenever she or her sidekick, Dr. Malcolm, move around the board. Uh by the way. This is the appropriate opportunity for me to point out that you can special order this game (laughs) from Restoration, and they have a special Dr. Malcolm Mini that you can get. Yes. Where he is, like, lying down with his shirt wide open, and he is bare-chested, and it's amazing. That pose is also recreated on one of the cards in their deck. I know, I know. The same as the mini. No, 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 but it is relevant (laughs) because the card with that picture is titled The Future X Mrs. Malcolm. (laughs) (laughs) I'm always looking for, you know, a future X Mrs. Malcolm. All right. Okay, fine. Sure. But the insight tokens do nothing in and of themselves but. Certain cards use them in interesting ways, like 
letting them all be spent to heal both Dr. Sattler and Dr. Malcolm. Oh, interesting. Or using them all to vastly increase the attack strength of a specific card. Mm. So stuff like that. So the insight tokens, it's definitely a little bit like Invisible Man's Fog tokens where they serve a bunch of different purposes. Sure. I dig it. I definitely want to play with those characters. I mean, I really want to play with, you know, the T-Rex. Everybody wants the T-Rex. But uh, it sounds like playing with Sattler and Malcolm would be pretty entertaining as well. It's still pretty satisfying, yeah. Yeah. Next on our list is a game that we had started playing. We struggled with some of the pieces. We got a new copy, etc. And that is The Goonies Escape with One-Eyed Willie's Rich Stuff, a Coded Chronicles game. So we had released a review a while ago about the Scooby-Doo Coded Chronicles game, which was absolutely fantastic. This was... We had a great time with that. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's so good. All the different characters have different books, and the different books have a number. And then as you move your characters around on the maps... Uh, you can interact with items, which also have a number, mm-hmm. by reading essentially the item number in your book. Mm-hmm. Or if you have a character who can use something, you would take the item number of the thing you want to use, mash that up with the potential thing that's... The other item number that you, you want know, to use. On, yeah. on a card or, or whatever, and then read that in the book. And by doing this, it provides the mechanics to work your way through essentially an exit room-like adventure. Yeah. And it was awesome with Scooby-Doo. Yeah. It's good with Goonies. It's less awesome in part because the puzzles are, I don't know if harder is the right word, but they're not as rewarding. So, I mean, I have a couple things I feel like I need to say about this, and we will review this game. I think this is going to be a snap review in the next couple of weeks. I think that's the plan. But first of all, this game with the exception of the fact that it needs to include puzzles that, you know, you need to actually solve. It's really, really right on with the movie. With the plot of the movie, so which is much great. So that there is some narrative that I think our 11-year-old was reading, and it was word for word a scene in yes. the movie. Yes, 100%. <laughs> Even though some of the stuff that happened was not really necessary for the plot. Yeah. Uh, which I thought was hysterical. Um, I mean, they, our kids have not seen the Goonies. Just yeah. it's, content-wise, it's close. We're not very quite there's, there yet. There's a lot of language in the movie yes. that we don't necessarily want our kids. None of that is in none of that. These that's books. true. None of that is in the books. At and least so far, our kids were fine with Scooby Doo. They have definitely hooked in to the plot of Goonies, and they are interested to see what comes next. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that part is true. Like, like the mystery of of what happened in the Goonies with One-Eyed Willie, like, it's a really, like, that's the kind of mystery that grabs modern-day kids. Yeah. Right? Like, pirates and booty and, you know, all the stuff and And they're being chased and, this and, and all, yeah. yeah, all that stuff. But we basically just, like, threw the, the scoring away in this game. And I think that if we were playing this with adults, we probably would have been a little bit more careful about this. But, like... I think that the puzzles in this game are just a little bit advanced for it to be a family weight game. And that's not a knock on the game. It's just Scooby-Doo was the right level for family. Yeah. Right. And Goonies, if you look at it, if you look at it on Board Game Geek, it says 12 plus. Probably that's accurate. Yeah. If the 12 plus is also people that are used to solving puzzles. Doing an exit box off, or unlock Yeah, exactly. Or if you're just taking escape rooms, you know, yeah. taking people like the mundanes, the people that don't 
do this stuff, don't think this way, I think they're going to struggle with it too. Yeah. Right. Even adults. Yeah. So when this says 12 plus, it, this is 12 plus gamers. Yeah. Agreed. And again, that's totally fine. Just be aware that it's it's at that level. There were a couple of puzzles where one or two where we just looked up the solution and we're like, okay, I see how they got there. You right. Know? I mean, right. it was tough. Yeah. I finally taught myself the game Under Falling Skies. Yes. So this is a solo only game. That said, this is really interesting. It is a little bit heavier than I usually like my solo games. Okay. Um, like Board Game Geek says 20 to 40 minutes, age 10 plus. And I think the age 10 plus is right on. The 20 to 40 minutes, my plays were taking me closer to that 40 minute range. Um, so maybe 20 minutes is if you get a couple turns in and realize that you've lost. And <laughs> just like, ah, I'm done with this game. I'm going to lose. Okay. So the whole idea of Under Falling Skies is to take kind of the Space Invaders idea, the various little ships coming down the screen from yep. the mothership, yep. and make it a turn-based, really tactical kind of a game, which is awesome, but is so thinky because... Every single move you make, you're like, okay, well, then this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. Can I afford for the bad stuff to happen so that the good stuff can happen kind of thing? The mothership is moving down every round, and if it gets too far down, you lose, and if too many <laughs> ships hit the ground, you lose, and, <laughs> and if you... Uh, run out of time to do all your research, you lose. <laughs> <laughs> but on top of all of that, there is a campaign mode. So there's a variable setup. I have not tried the campaign yet. I tried sort of the intro game and then I tried a normal level difficulty, which I lost. But I didn't lose it by a lot. So I think I can handle it after maybe one more normal difficulty. Then I can try the campaign, which promises to be really interesting. I love that it takes this Space Invaders theme and kind of modernizes it, puts a little bit of a real feeling around it, I guess, a more believable <laughs> feeling around it. Okay. Feels kind of more like being in a mental sci-fi thriller of like, oh no, these aliens are coming down and the only way we can beat them is if we can do enough research and discover something that makes them tick. And so you're battling off the aliens while trying to do the research. I have really liked it so far. I'm not sure how much more of it I'm going to play once I'm ready to review it because it just feels like a little much for me. Okay, yeah, but that's just your But that's me, yeah. Okay, cool. All right. All right, and one last one. Um, we went out to dinner for Mother's Day this weekend. Yay, happy Mother's Day to all the moms that are listening to this and all the dads that are listening. Go do something all nice. The, all the, the mommy gamers. <laughs> all the mommy gamers. <laughs> and grandma gamers. But we had a little bit larger group than usual, so I threw a couple of easy restaurant games in my purse that work well with a big group like that. And the one we ended up playing was Quingo. Yeah, so we talk about this as a fantastic restaurant game all the time because... It's one die, and guess what? It was a fantastic experience. It really is. I wish it was not out of print, mm. but it makes for such a good restaurant game because everybody's engaged, the turns are super, super short, mm -hmm. and you need to pay attention all the time because it's literally call out a number, roll the die, write it down on your sheet, and 
part of what made me think it is because our kids were looking at the Kino screen up in the corner <laughs> and like picking numbers. Be like, you know what? Why don't we do something that's a little bit more all of us together rather than But the than cool thing the is, screen. like you said, you know, everybody has to pay attention all the time. But you can also start and stop and it's super easy to do so. It's not oh, like yeah. you have to be like, all right, now where were we? What was going on? Yep. It's super easy to Because a turn is like 15 seconds long. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's great. <laughs> it really is so good. It's so good. Yeah. So. All right, and that's what we've got for what we've been playing. Why don't we welcome our new Family Gamers community members now, and then when we come back from the break, we can jump right into our topic. How's that sound? Yeah, let's do that. All right. So we have three new members in the community, which is awesome. We always love to see new new folks in there. They've already been commenting. They commented on the welcome post yep. that we threw up there with a cat and a fidget spinner, which yes. I feel like you put that in there because our son has been playing with this fidget spinner nonstop lately. <sighs> Anyway, <laughs> so a huge, huge Mother's Day weekend welcome to John, Hannah, and Steve. If you are already in the community, head over to the welcome post that we threw in there, say hi, and uh, talk about what you've been playing lately, because that's what the post's about. Yeah. What's on the table? All right. We will be right back. Twenty-two. Twenty. Seventeen. If I can use fifteen words. <laughs> Fine, you got it. Forgot it. <laughs> this is not a snap review for Name That Song. This is a snap review for the game 25 Words or Less. This is published by The Op. 25 Words or Less originally came out way back in 1996. The game was resurrected as a TV show about three years ago, and now we're back in the board game world with a new edition of this 25-year-old classic. 25 words or less can be enjoyed with really as many people as you want to, but you're going to need at least four. It's best for ages 10 plus, and the game lasts for a half an hour officially, but you can change that if you want to. Yeah. So let's talk about the art in this game. We're done. <laughs> there is no art in this game to speak of. I mean, it's words on cards. They look like this. I mean, the box has a lovely picture of Meredith Vieira on it, but that's about it, really. Um, I do think that the design of the central board is really clever. There are numbered spots from 0 to 25 that fit the exact footprint of the timer. But that's about it for That's our... it. That's all there is. So let's talk about how to play this game, the mechanics of 25 right. words or less. This is a game that's played in rounds. Mm. In each round, a clue giver from each team looks at one of these cards. Let's look at this card. Then they agree on whether or not they can be successful with the words. Um, you're supposed to start by picking a color of words to stick with, but it really doesn't matter. Yeah, they're supposed to be the same difficulty, even says that in the yeah. rulebook. Then the clue givers bid back and forth, starting around 25, about how many words they can use to get their team to guess all five words on the card. That's why it sounds like name that song. Once someone wins that bid, it's go time. The other clue giver keeps track of the words that were said on the number mat and also with a timer. So not only are the word limited, but the time is limited too. You have a minute. One minute. If the team gets the words, they win the card. If not, the other team gets to take the card instead. The first team to 10 cards wins. So, Anitra, what did we expect from this game? Well... It's a game that's related to a TV show. You can tell from the box where it says, based on the hit TV game show. No! I really wasn't expecting a lot, and when I saw that it was for four or more players, that was a pretty good sign. I knew what we were going to get. I mean, we're expecting some family fun, laughs, probably a team game. Yeah. 
But were there surprises? What surprised us about this game? I was kind of surprised at just how poorly this game landed with our family. It seems like a simple idea. Obviously, they made it work for television. But it's just impossible in a family setting. There's not enough time to do anything. Timed games or limited information games can work, but when you mash the two of them together, it gets really, really hard. We actually house rolled this like two rounds into our first game where we decided that we were going to use the timer twice. So when it ran out, we would just flip it over and keep going. And we still struggled to complete (laughs) the cards in time. Because the communication is so limited, I mean like 17 words to get your team to guess five words. There isn't enough room for anything funny to get out and people to laugh or, you know, inside jokes or anything like that. It was so intense. I mean, the joy of a party game is having fun. And this was really just all about the competition. And that actually really hurt it from a family perspective. On top of that, since the guessing team is determined every round by the bidding, you can end up waiting through several rounds before your team wins a bid and you get a chance to do something. Right. It's not stealing the card. It's just you get it if the other team fails. So you can be sitting around for a long time. So I think people might know the answer to this in each other, but do we recommend this game for families? Uh, not really, especially in a family setting with kids. There is not a lot of room for creativity when you could only say a couple of words and the limitations just aren't that interesting for kids to get their creative juices flowing. If you're looking for a great party game to play with kids from this company, We love Telestrations for this instead. Fair enough. But back to this game. Anitra, what are we going to rate 25 words or less? We're going to rate it two words out of five. All right. And that's 25 words or less in in a a snap. snap. And we're back. It's time to make time for game night. It is. All right. So this is a... um, seasonal topic for us like it comes up over and over again yeah during all four seasons <laughs> we're busy Actually, in different three seasons summer things loosen up a little yeah bit. we're busy in different ways in different seasons yeah. and sometimes it's just like man we have not had any time to play a game why is that mm-hmm. yep and that's for you know people who we have a i guess it's not moral obligation but we have an obligation to report on the games that we've been playing and even still for us it's hard sometimes and we, so... we have an unpaid job of playing games <laughs> We have a social obligation to our friends and family who listen to the podcast. Sure. All right. That's neither here nor there. How do we figure out how to make time for gaming? You actually wrote a blog post about this. I did. So A while ago. Yeah. yeah. Like I said, almost three years ago. Yeah, and we finally found time to mention it. (laughs) I mean, it's still true. It's really good to have a dedicated family game time. It's less intimidating than face-to-face conversations, more engaging than watching TV, or even than playing a cooperative video game with your kids. So if you are like us and you are busy, sometimes figuring out how to do that can be hard. And so what we thought we would do is talk about some of the things that, you know, we have done a little bit of in our lives, some things that, you know, we're trying to be better at doing in our lives, you know, stuff Mm -hmm. like that, really to just kind of move this conversation forward for us and for you so that you can enjoy family game time with your kids. With yeah. your family. And, you know, the first one is, uh, it's something that we kind of talked about two weeks ago, right? Yeah, preparation. Mm. So we talked two weeks ago about teaching games. 
Yeah. And what that meant and how to do that. And a big part of teaching a game is prep. So you don't want to sit down with your family and be like, all right, let's remove the shrink wrap and open the rule book. Don't do that. Really never do that. Yeah. and, And there's a lot of different reasons why. And we'll touch on this a little bit later. But like, if you're busy and you're trying to make time for gaming... That all has to be value time. And yeah. watching someone read a rule book is not value time. No, definitely not. It's not. So definitely make sure that you know the game if you're teaching it to your family. But there's other preparation too. If this is really going to be family game time, pick games that everyone in your family can play and will want to play. Right. And so, you know, this is a topic that is hard because, like, in our family, our daughter. Definitely likes, generally speaking, different games than most of the rest of the family. Yeah. Or at least than her brothers, for sure. Yeah. And her brother, well, her brothers are the, her, her contemporaries that she has the most yeah. overlap with with regards to available time. And so that's really difficult. And so when we come to the table to play a family game, you, we can't come to the table and say, okay, we're going to play a family game. What do you guys want to play? That's why I'm bringing this up. Ah, Yes. Because we have tried that in the past. Yes. It rarely goes well. Right. It's like, because we approach it, we, and I think we all tend to do this, approach it with almost a a sense of desperation. Like, I just want to play a game as a family. And I don't even necessarily care which one. Right. And along with that, it's like, well, I'll play whatever you want. Yeah. Right. So consequently, you say, what game do you want to play? Boom. You've already failed. And now you have an argument and somebody's yes. going to be unhappy. And Precisely. Yeah, don't, don't do that's that either. That's exactly my point. Yeah. And so that's why it's so important that you perform a little bit of cataloging, a little bit of advanced research, a little bit of figuring out what games each person in your family likes and figuring out what that magical three, four, five part Venn diagram is and figuring out where those games are in the middle. And if you have, for example... Let's say next Tuesday, our daughter will be at a sporting event. So it'll just be the four of us at home. That changes our Venn diagram of what board games are available. Yeah. You know, that our kids are going to like. And so having some of that information is extremely helpful. And sometimes it may just come down to a compromise of let's pick two quite short games, one that these three people like and one that these three people like because there's one person who's just like, I'll play anything. And Mm -hmm. If we play this game, will you guys also play this game? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the point here is that you need to come to the table with titles in mind. Yes. That's the point. If you want to offer choices, that's fine. Don't leave it completely open-ended. Right. Like, you know? We have 350 games. Which one do you want to play? Yeah, no, <sighs> don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Maybe three or four options tops. Mm-hmm. So let's narrow that down even more. So what if you have a specific game that you want your family to play? You're like, okay, I've played this game before. I've watched the demo. I tuned into Rodney. I got the rundown. I read the rule book. This game's going to be, my family's going to love this game. What do we do? We've made the time. I am planning like it's going to be Wednesday after dinner. We're going to play this game. They know it's coming. Well, like that's one step is tell everybody. Right, right. How, How about-, about set it up first? Set it up in yeah. advance. I mean, maybe you only have the one table to like eat on and play a game on. Okay. Set up as much as you can in advance. Make player packs. Mm-hmm. Anything like that. Because the less time you have to spend setting up with everybody sitting around the table, the faster you jump into playing and you have that value time like we talked about right. before. So 
Um, this gets into kind of a couple of other things that I, I think are all really super important here, right? So making time means picking a game that fits the amount of time that you have. So I remember, this is probably a couple of years ago now, but I remember our son Asher trying to convince me that we could play Dice Forge at breakfast time. <laughs> and I had to tell him that, that no, no, we, we cannot do that. Dice Forge takes an hour. We do not have that time before school. (laughs) Poor kid. (laughs) (laughs) Which is to say, hey, maybe that little bit of time between like breakfast and when the school bus comes, maybe that is a good time to play a game together as a family, but it better be a pretty fast game. Well, so I also don't want to focus on saying like, find a game that's going to fit into this small window. Because that might not be what works. One of our best friends, their family... They have an asynchronous game that they leave set up, and as people go through the house, they'll glance at it and see when it's their turn and take their turn. And take their turn. And there are certain games for which this works, like chess is kind of the classic example of a game that works like this. But when we say find a game that fits the time available, that might be what this means. It might mean find a game where you can play it completely asynchronously and leave it set up on like the breakfast nook table or something like that. Or it may be something where you all can come together and play like a round of the game together, leave it set up, come back and play another round Mm -hmm. later. Right. Or even a game that doesn't have a lot of pieces. And so it's easy to set up and take down so that, you know, you are playing an hour, hour and a half long game, but you can play it in 10 minute chunks and easily set it up. Yeah, take down or whatever and you know restore your place and not lose anything those are all important things and they all fall into the same category of making sure that you pick a game that fits the time that you have available to you yeah and that actually gets into another thing which is technically a, a separate line item on here so this is actually the fourth of our bullet points and that is to foster a culture of gaming in your family if gaming is a special thing that you do, then it's not part of the culture of gaming in your house. So let's clarify this. This is not to say that gaming can't also be a special thing. But if you want family game night to be a thing, then playing games as a family should be a normal part of what you do. So like for our family, we have dinner together Almost every night. Mm -hmm. I did not realize until I was basically an adult that there were lots of families where that's not part of their normal family culture. Mm -hmm. And so when they do eat dinner together, it feels really special and kind of weird. So like the classic example of this in modern culture is that movie, The Blind Side. Have you you seen The Blind Side? I think so. A lot of people have seen this movie. And there's this one scene where this adopted black kid, they serve dinner and he takes his dinner to the dinner table because that's where you eat dinner right and like their whole family is like what because they're all set up with tv trays to watch like college football or whatever Mm. and it engenders this like shift in their family because the mom is like this is it's important to eat dinner as a family together right and you know i mean that's just kind of like one example but when gaming becomes something that we invest in not financially but in the sense that we make it a part of the culture of the family then it's much less of an effort to rally everyone to get around the table to play a game so probably many listeners to our show are doing this already you know Mm -hmm. possibly to the point of desperation of like come on (laughs) please play a game with me 
But I think this is also where very short games come in, mm-hmm. where very simple games come in. You know, and also there's five people in our family, mm-hmm. right. you and me and three kids. And fostering a culture of gaming in our family doesn't necessarily mean fostering a culture of gaming where five people sit down at a table and play a game. Right. It means you and I play games. Our kids see you and I playing games together. We encourage them to play games together. Sometimes all five of us play games together. You know what I mean? So it's... More often it's groups of two or three out of the five of us. Yeah, Yeah. it's that gaming that is that kind of sub... Like reading is a very popular family subculture kind of thing there's a lot of people i mean at least we do a lot of that too yeah we well we do we do but like there's a lot of people that we know where at any given time you could kick open their front door and everyone's laying around the house reading like you know what i mean and it's it's a thing it is a thing that people retreat to and it's culturally acceptable within the family and you know i mean there's a lot and we're gonna talk about screen time in a minute there's a lot where yes a lot of kids play video games and a lot of parents are like, mm, we don't really want that to be like the standard retreat all the time. We don't want to be that to be the culture of our family. That doesn't mean that video games are bad. Right. You and I enjoy video games mm-hmm. and TV shows and all kinds of other things. But it's one of those, mm, we don't want that to define how our family time normally goes. But let's not like make a mistake here. The family gamer's motto is play games with your kids. Yes. So we are all about normalizing <laughs> gaming within the context of a household. And a good way that you can make time for gaming is to normalize gaming in your house. Because then when someone's like, oh, I have some time to relax. What's my go-to relaxation thing? It's not TV first, video game second, whatever. I don't want to book wanna, third. Uh, you know, book third. And then, okay, I guess I could be talked into playing some games. Yeah. Move that gaming up higher in that priority list. And that might mean being intentional about playing games a little bit more just to kind of get that ball rolling. But once you're there, it does make proper family game night much, much easier. Yeah. So there's a couple levels to this. But that parallel you drew earlier with reading can be a family culture really made me think about this. How do you make reading a family culture? Well, it starts with reading to your kids, but also having them see you read on your own. If you only do one or the other and never do the second thing, that does not foster a culture of reading in your house. It is both doing it with your kids to say like, hey, this is a fun thing. And also them seeing you do it without them so they can go, oh, mom and dad really do think this is a fun yeah, thing. Yeah, kids are not dumb. Like, <laughs> you know, I mean, if, if you try to teach your kids something and then just, oh, do as I say, not as I do, they're like, yeah, uh-uh, no, I'm not doing that. Come on. Because they want to be grownups. I mean, they yeah. want to be kids, but they want to be grownups. You know what I mean? So, yeah, kids are not dumb. They see that and they're going to respond to that appropriately. Yeah. Or not appropriately. I suppose appropriately is not the right word there, but... In kind. In kind. In kind is is probably a better phrase. But yeah, so I mean, it's important to foster it within yourself and within the adults in the family. Well, well. but what I'm saying is you play games with them at their level. We've talked about that plenty on various episodes of the podcast. You know, with young kids or kids who don't have a big attention span or whatever, you find something where they're at, that they think is fun, even if it's playing Uno for the 20th time, even if it's playing Candyland because they love it. You play that game, but you also move towards other things and playing as a larger group and all of that together as well. So last thing on our list, this is more of a tactic thing than a lot of other stuff, which is kind of conceptual stuff. 
But um, this is something that actually we've done with some success in our home. And sometimes we do it with one child because it's it's been a day and, and we get resistance. But then it actually just magically works out almost every time. And this is to have a maybe a night or, or a period of time that is screen free. Yeah. And again, this is coming before we get to the point where we're making time for games. And this really plays back into that whole thing of like, what is your cultural priority in your home? Have a night where you know, we're just we're not going to turn the TV on. We're not going to turn on the iPad. I truly don't care what you do. Well, and here's your challenge, uh, mom and dad. Yeah, yeah. Put the phone away and be obvious about it. Be like, hey, you know, I told you that this is screen free for the next two hours. I'm putting my phone over here out of arm's reach. If somebody calls me, I'll be available. But otherwise, I'm not looking at it at all. Yeah. And this goes back to what I said before. This is not a do as I say, not you know <laughs> what I do. This is say it and do it. Yeah. Yeah, so, completely. Yeah, it, it is really important to follow up the teach with the action. Yeah. And, you know, when you are putting the whole family in an environment where that thing that kind of takes people away from each other is no longer available. You know, I mean, yes, yeah. you can watch a movie together, but you're not really like you're physically together. And maybe there's a little bit of like, oh, you laughed at the same time because you're watching the same thing. But like, that's not interaction yeah you'll talk about it afterwards but in the moment you're probably not really together in it and i mean and then there's you know multiplayer video games where you certainly are interacting and things like that but we're talking about analog gaming here and championing analog gaming and you know a huge way that you can do that is by having like a screen-free night yeah and frankly parents you don't have to rush back to the phone when the kids go to bed talk to each other what like hold hands and smile and junk (laughs) take a walk Go to bed early. <laughs> Play a board game. Whatever. Whatever. Yeah. So those are our strategies for some ways that you can start to create space and create time in a busy family life to play some games. We are going to try to do better at this ourselves in the next couple of weeks as we are very busy with all of the end of school year stuff. The games, they are coming. But as our schedule starts to free up, we can be a little more responsive online, I suppose. <laughs> I suppose that's true. <laughs> so where can people find us if they want to get a hold of the Family Gamers? You can find us on all kinds of social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Family Gamers AA. You can also find us on YouTube by searching for The Family Gamers. Head over to our community. We've mentioned it before. We would love to welcome even more people to the Family Gamers community by going to thefamilygamers.com forward slash community or just by going to Facebook and searching for the Family Gamers community. We are a lovely and loving bunch of people. If you'd like to be a little bit more direct or private with your communication, you can email us. Andrew at thefamilygamers.com. Anitra at thefamilygamers.com. Check out our Family Gamers and to play games with your kids and a balanced life merchandise at thefamilygamers.com forward slash merch. Please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast if you have not already. Tell your friends about the podcast and leave us a review at Apple Podcast or wherever you subscribe to tell strangers about our podcast. <laughs> That's right. You can find us on Amazon Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, all the things. I still love that I can talk to the thing that the smart speaker. is the smart speaker and just say, play the Family Gamers podcast. And it does. And it's great. The Family Gamers is sponsored by First Move Financial. Go to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers to learn how the team at First Move Financial can help you pile up the victory points. Well, I think that's going to be it for us for this week. We are going to be careful about making time 
to play games with our kids. Absolutely. And each other. And each other. And I'm going to commit to closing this laptop after this show and not looking at a screen for the rest of the night. Sounds good. But until next time, play Play games games with with your kids. kids.